Welcome to another episode of In the Name of Service, a podcast committed to sharing the untold stories of those who selflessly serve. Each episode features an interview with men and women who have been called to a variety of service-focused roles, such as the military, law enforcement, ministry, volunteering, and more. You aren't likely to know the names of the individuals you meet here, but our hope is by the end of our time together, you'll not only know their stories, but possibly be inspired to write your own in some way. Humble in nature, but strong in character, these everyday men and women showcase what it is to truly be a servant. We're glad you're here. Now here's your host, Dr. Barb Thompson. Thank you so much for joining me today for another inspiring episode of In the Name of Service. I'm your host, Dr. Barb Thompson. As a United States Army veteran and operational psychologist, I've spent my career working with military and law enforcement units, conducting in-depth interviews with hundreds of individuals who are hoping to earn their place on high-risk, high-performing teams. In most cases, they've already put in years of grueling physical and mental work just to get a chance to serve and sacrifice more. And that type of selflessness is special, and I feel worthy of recognition. While each person's story is unique and every path to service different, their goals are similar, to do something more, to be part of something bigger, to make a difference. These difference makers were the catalyst behind this podcast, and it's my privilege to share their stories with you. So today I get to introduce you to Ryan Glenn, and he may just be the most interesting man you've ever met. He's gone through um, all kinds of different life experiences. He spent time in the Navy in several different roles. Um, He was a professional firefighter. He's owned a CrossFit gym. He's been in real estate investing, and he's now in executive coaching. And I'll I'll let him tell you about that. But you're going to want to go and find him after this and learn more about him. Today will just be a drop in the bucket. We'll get to hear a little bit about his story and what's fueling him and how um, and how that relates to you. So Ryan, welcome. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Hey, Barb, thank you so much. That was a uh, man. That was a solid introduction. I didn't even think you were talking about <laughs> me there. In the beginning. <laughs> my name is Ryan Glenn all day. And I just kind of go with Ryan Glenn because I think I chose my middle name because Ryan Glenn just sounds kind of cool to me. So I left it at that. A little about me, man, well, how far back do we want to go and, and kind of dig in? You know, like that's, that's the, that's all Let's tell them who you are now and then we'll go back. Yeah. Yeah. So right now, um, I, I got, I think the biggest thing that I can say this on the table for me has to do with, with being a parent. Mm-hmm. Um, and kind of everything that that is around trying to be a good parent, right? And the reason I think that's so important is, well, take that back. The foundation of being a good parent for me is being a good person, right? So when I got to the point in my life where, okay, all the normal life stuff is kind of not the highest priority, like going to work and going out and playing and having fun. Basically, when you get to the point where you're not just selfish about yourself anymore, and yeah. you're putting other things first, like that put me on that path, you know, to where to, to ask myself the question, how do I become the best parent that I can right now? And ultimately, I believe the foundation of that statement is being the best person you can be, being the best self you can be. Right. right? And that's very, that's a very fundamental statement, but there's, it's like, there's thousands of layers to that, that, that you can peel back. And where I'm at now is just trying to make myself aware of those Mm -hmm. layers so Mm -hmm. I can start addressing those layers. right? Right. So it's basically, you know, some people can call it an awakening. Some people call it like, finding your path, like finding who you are. Right. Um, But the more I dig into this, the more I realize that it's more, it's less of finding a path or finding a thing external and more Mm -hmm. of going back to what you really are on the inside. Right. I love that. Yeah. So that's kind of where I am now, you know, aside from if, you know, if we take off the, the path to get there, that's just kind of where I am right now is exploring how I can be the best version of myself so I can be the best parent and then sharing that with the world. Because the more, the more that I, I work with people, the more people that I talk to, especially the fathers that have, that, that, that have going through, that have gone through struggle 
in relation to their children, the mm-hmm. more I realize that there's just, there's not enough resource out there. No. And the main resource is just someone to talk to that can understand. Right. Someone that can listen and understand because it seems like the more time goes on, the less true connection people actually have with each other. Mm-hmm. Like we're connected extremely, you know, well through technology, but it's such a surface level connection that, that, that we're not getting the things that, that truly matter, I think. So that's yeah. kind of the space that I'm in now is, is trying to explore that, that development and kind of spread that. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. It's so neat and it's so unique. And it takes a lot of courage, I think, to be in that space because parenting seems like something that should come naturally to us. And I think there's a lot of guilt and shame around that, you know, yeah. um, like, oh, I'm a psychologist. I should naturally be a good mother. Like, nope, very different. So um, I mm-hmm. applaud you for just your courage, but also how what a blessed individual is your son, you know, for you as a dad to realize uh, what an honor it is to Mm -hmm. have, you know, created this human life and get to guide it along. And I'm excited that later he'll get to hear, you know, your story, honestly. So Mm -hmm. we're going to get back to kind of the space you're in right now and how you're helping people. Mm -hmm. But first, I want to go back in your story. And if you could just tell us a few of the what you found to be, you know, in your reflection, kind of foundational experiences in your childhood that have led you to be the the person that you are today. Okay. Um, so just to clarify that question, like, are you asking specific events or do you just want me to talk philosophy on, on those things? Whatever, whatever feels right to you, like just how to explain for the listener your own development. So whether that's, mm-hmm. you know, obviously like just growing up or if I think part of that has to do with, you know, your experiences as you went into the Navy and out and right. things like that. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah so, I'll, okay. I'll try to touch on a little because, you know, it can kind of get in depth there, but the fundamental, and I'll start with the philosophy. So when, when we talk about who a person is and, the, and again, I'm no, I'm no expert. I don't have any special letters by my name or I'm not a psychologist or anything, but I have spent a lot of intentional time looking back, reflecting and things like that. And, and just loads of research and reading, just trying to understand things. So yeah, the fundamental philosophy I think is looking, looking back from a person's childhood to now, man, we all have things that shaped us, right? We have experiences and I can, and, and myself, just like many other people, we can talk about all the bad things that, that, that happened to us, you know, the quote unquote bad things. <laughs> right. Um, and, and I can talk about some of those, but the, the philosophy that I want to have people understand in relation to that is how we're viewing those events will dictate like the outcomes moving forward. Mm-hmm. Okay. So in, in my past, you know, like I, I had a rough childhood, like a lot of other people I always, I always get hung up on how to talk about this, to get into it, you know, yeah, just know. because it's so hard to know, like, well, where, where do I start? <laughs> yeah. Like, well, where do I, where do I draw the lines between, you know, like sharing and not sharing and, and, and trying to yeah. get into that. So sure. yeah. So I like, like here, here's what I can say, reflecting back on my childhood, the things, the things that happened then a lot of times as a child, you don't know, you don't necessarily know things are good or bad. You don't have the perspective in life yet. Right. Right. So what I see, what I see happening is the, these things, these things that are happening in childhood up to a certain point, they're just life. It's just normal life. Right. And it's not until you grow and you develop and you see other people's families or you see other people's childhood that you can kind of have that, that contrast to say the contrast to say, okay, this is abnormal. Mm -hmm. And then you know, it takes so many years because as you get an adult, if you're conscious and aware and want to understand yourself and why you do the things you do, you have to look back. You have to look back and reflect on the, on on those experiences and try to figure out how they shaped you and why you are the way that you are. Right. Right. So a lot of that just kind of to find meaning. I haven't answered your question yet, have I? I haven't d- dug into like the, <laughs> the stuff about about my my past and everything growing up. So do you want me to just kind of like touch on it and just list some of the like shitty things that people could conceive as shitty about yeah, my past? I, and then- 
I would just because I think that gives them a picture in their mind to say, well, look at yeah. it now. You know what I mean? Right. And so that right. philosophy does work because he's able to go after, you know, what he feels like he's been called to do in spite of and maybe because of the difficult things yeah. he's been through. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. So, yeah. So if we kind of jump back and, and start talking. So some of the things that people could label as as bad or not good in the childhood. So kind of the overall theme of my childhood was, you know, I, I was born in 77. So I grew up, you know, the late seventies and the early eighties. And the father was typically never at home or the male in the family was never at home. So the culture of me growing up was the mother is kind of there taking care of the children and the father's always gone. So for me, you know, that's kind of what my experience was up until I was like eight or nine years old. And we were kind of transient. Like, so my whole life has been, has been transient, even, even as a child. So my father was always working or um, the, the person that I thought was my father, right? He was yeah. always working away and we would travel, whether we'd be living in a camper van or a hotel or, you know, whatever. I remember a lot of traveling growing up. And I remember one time we were, uh, and I think we were in a hotel and I'm eight years old and my mother just comes to me out of the blue, it seemed, and said, hey, this guy here that you've been calling your dad for the past eight years, he's not really your dad. Do you want to go and meet your dad? And me being an eight-year-old, I don't, you know, you don't understand the gravity of that type of situation. You're just like, oh yeah, sure. And that's what I said. Yeah, why not? And the next thing I knew, he's at work. We're, we just pack up all our stuff and leave. I don't know if he got a phone call. I don't know if she let him know. I don't know if he came home from work and the room was empty and yeah. he just didn't know what was going on, right? Because th there's no cell phones back then and, and none of that. Like you can't, you can't track people the way you right. do now with, yeah. with electronics. So, um, yeah, we, we, we left and we go to meet this other man, kind of the same situation with, with, with him, like his employment took him away. Right. So I spent maybe, was that nine, 10, 11, 12, I spent a few years with, with that person. Then from there, my recollection of my childhood was just a lot of bouncing around, you know, b between those two men and other men at the same time. Yeah. So we got a lot of a lot of bouncing around, and you know some of the things that that, that I reflect back on. It, it's easy to call situations bad in that type of environment, but it's also you can find something positive in, right. in those situations. Yeah. Okay. So some of the things that people would label bad in that is like there was out of all the people that were filling the role of the elder or the parent in my life at that time, none of them had any degree of emotional development, you yeah, know, even right. uh, for as, as long as I know them, like my uh, stepdad, which is who I call my dad, you know, I'm not, not to say anything bad about him, uh, but his emotional development is kind of, is not where I needed it to be. Let's just mm -hmm. say that. Mm -hmm. Okay. So all the people that were filling that role, they had no emotional development. So I had no real connection with anyone. Like, you know, my mother, she was, she never really did anything with her life. She barely had a job. I remember like at corner stores or gas stations, and shit like that. But most of the time she was just passed out somewhere because she was heavy in, into drugs and drinking and all that. So most of the time she was passed out somewhere. So I didn't have that type of structure. When I think back, the most structure I had came from like grandparents, you know? Yeah. So I, I remember yeah. more learning milestones from grandparents or great grandparents than I do like from inside, inside the house. Right. Yeah. So someone could call, could call that bad. The, once we, you know, the nine or 10 year old, when I left that, that home and got connected with my biological father, he had zero emotional development. Like it was literally his philosophy was, if you're a child, you're just there and you don't speak. Mm -hmm. And he didn't, and I don't remember, I don't, I, I can't remember a single conversation with him, like at all. Like it was more like from his perspective, it was just a fear-based way of, well, from my perspective of him, it was just a fear-based way of, um, if you want to call it parenting, but yeah. of, of being around children, being, you know, mm -hmm. it, it was, it was just more of a, a fear-based thing. So there were no conversations. There was no like contact, like hugging, none of that. Right. There, there was nothing of that. So it was more, it was more just like what you would think being in prison was like, and then the prison guards type thing. So right. That's kind now, of how, that, how, that, 
now it's your out outside time and now yeah. it's your bedtime. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So there was no there you know, and, and man, I think about that type of scenario with all those people that filled that parental role. And I try to look at both sides, like, you know, sure. how can I give, how can I give them credit for something? How can I right. you know, right. say they did something good? And, and, and I'm split down the middle on that. If I were to talk about a philosophy, uh, you know, sometimes, sometimes a lot of times we hear the term did the best I could. They did the best they could. I did the best I could. I'm doing the best I can. Right? Yeah. I absolutely do not believe in that philosophy. Like I don't, I don't think, I don't think that's a term that can, I don't think that's a phrase that can be applied to us as humans. Right. And, and I'll give you an example of that. So think of, think of a, a simple machine, you know, like there's like five or six simple machines, right? Think of the lever. That's the easiest one to think of. You have a stick and a fulcrum, right? A machine can do the best that it can. So let's say we have a normal lever here with the fulcrum and we're lifting a weight, right? Does that, and this is a question for you, does that machine have the ability to lift unlimited weight? No, there's a limit. There's a limit, right? So what is what is the limit on that machine? So let's just say the lever- whatever, Probably whatever it's been tested for or- Whatever is, cre whatever is creative. So say the, le yeah. leather, the, the lever is a wooden stick, okay? So I have a wooden stick. That machine can lift a certain amount of weight. And if you add a fraction more weight, what happens to the lever? It breaks. It breaks. Okay. So a machine can do the best that it can. That lever can do the best that it can. And then when you go beyond that, it's broken and it never works again. Right. So how do we get that machine to do more work, to lift more weight? We have to use a different material. Now we put a steel bar in there. Can that steel bar lift more than the wood? Yes. Right. Yes. Can that mm -hmm. steel bar lift an unlimited amount of weight? No, it, no. Ha it has a limit, right? But yeah. up to that fractional limit, it has done the best that it can. We as humans, we're not, we, we don't function like that. We can always do more. If you look at anything in life, we're consistently progressing. Mm -hmm. In any athletics, athletics are progressing. The way that we think, the way that we understand the world, everything is progressing, right? So the minute I hear someone say, oh, I did the best that I could, my immediate thought is that's a cop out right? That's something that you have told yourself to let yourself off the hook for the effort that you didn't put in. Mm -hmm. That's what I think, right? So when we, when we talk about that, do the best they can, and I'm kind of getting off track, but these, this is important in philosophy when we get further down the road and we start yeah. talking about some of the notes that I have there. Going from where you came from, where essentially you're raising yourself minus some mm -hmm. probably like negative input from some people and some positive input from your grandparents. Right. When, when it's time, like you're an adult, how did you even know like what to do next? You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a great question, Barb. So I, I'll, I'll elaborate a little bit more on, on the child, on the childhood stuff and kind of tie that into how did I know what to do next or what the yeah. next step is, right? So kind of, like I said, I had, I had those influences growing up, but mostly I was just left alone. Right. I was just left alone to do whatever I wanted to do, right? And that kind of led me down this, a, a different path. So a little bit more, man, that's a good question. I'll tell you some of the experiences that I did experience with my mother and how that will answer the question is sometimes you learn what to do by learning what not to do, what you don't. Oh, absolutely. Yes. Right? So with, with her, I remember, you know, we had already, you know, this is some other man that we're living with now. And I'm probably 13, 14, 15. And where I come from down from the South, when you're 15 years old, you can um, get your driver's license. You can get your mm -hmm. driver's license at that time. So most of my time, 12, 13 and 14, I spent working with my grandfather. He had a horse farm. So I was working with him making money and stuff like that. At that time, she was with another man. He was, he was, you know, gone somewhere. She's just most of the time just passed out on, on the bed. She's just unconscious. Right. And uh, I remember during those, those ages, 13, 14, 15, I was, I have a, I have a little brother that lived with me at the time. And I was making sure that we had groceries. I was either buying the food for the house out of the money I was making when I was working. And I was also working at McDonald's. So I would bring food home every night. For McDonald's, like back then, what you could do is the, they would let you take the extra food home. Yeah, so two like, three hours before they closed, yes. 
please and thank you. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I would just cook up all kinds of extra food and then I would just be carrying these big bags home. And that's what I fed me and my brother with is, is McDonald's for, for, for years. Right. Um, it got to the point where I, I, and I'm thinking back, like as a 14, 15 year old, I had to, I bought a safe, like I bought a safe to keep in my room. And I'm like, well, why did you have a safe? Well, I had money that was always coming up missing. Right. So I bought this safe and <laughs> one year for my birthday, I was completely surprised. I think I, I was 15, 14 or 15. I came home from school and there's this big, huge, like weight lifting system. You know what I'm saying? The old school like pulleys <laughs> and weights and shit everywhere. Yeah. I was like, oh man, that's so awesome. They got, they actually got me a present, a gift, right? I realized that they had broken into my safe, took my money and used that money to buy the gift. Wow. Okay. And not more than two to three weeks later, within a week or two, I come back home from school. The weight thing is gone. So they broke into my safe. They used my money, bought me a gift. Then they took that gift back and got my money back for it and mm. kept the money. Yeah. Right. And that, that kind of thing kind of kept playing itself throughout the, the next, the next couple of years. Once I turned 15, I had worked with my grandfather enough to buy a truck. Right. So I'm a 15 year old kid, got my first truck. I'm, I'm thinking life is good. And I remember a conversation my mother had with me. She was like, Hey, my boyfriend, whoever, whatever his name was, he's working construction and he only has a car. He needs a truck. How would you feel about letting him borrow the truck and you just use his car? And at that time I was really big into like speakers and bass and you know, all that. And there, and this is how she, she tricked me into it. She was like, look, that back seat of the car, you can take the back seat out and you can put all the speakers in you want. You can't fit those speakers in your truck. You can fit them in the car. I'm like, yeah, why not? Let's do it. So I, I try, I let them borrow, borrow the truck. And, um, I don't know, a couple months later, the truck's gone, they sold it. Then they took the car back. So I'm back with, with, with nothing again. Right. So that's kind of the, 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 the path that, that, that went with me and parental figures. It was just like, I learned what not to do. Right. I learned things not to do, you know, like taking away the, the, the violence that you would see in there. You know, I haven't talked about that, that you would see in the household, but I remember at a very young age, like telling myself, making, making the declaration that like, no matter what happens, I'm never going to allow my children to see like that type of anger yeah. and violence where right. things are being thrown around and, you know, stuff like that. So that is kind of, you know, a lot of that stuff you can learn, you can look at it and you can, you can beat yourself up and drive yourself down with it. Or you can take those things and use right. those as a stepping stone to step yeah. up. Right. Right. So most, uh, most of my life, I never really I was never, I, I don't, I don't know if it's genetic in me or if it was like a legitimate decision, but I never looked at that stuff. Like, yeah, it sucked at the time. And I was like, this sucks. But thinking back on it, I was never like, oh, woe is me. You know, what do I do? <laughs> my, my mentality was always, okay, how do I move forward? It right. was just like, what's, yeah. what's next? I never, even man, I, that's just followed me through my whole, like, like I said, it's, I don't know if it's genetic or it was just a byproduct of living in that type of environment where like, if you wanted anything or if you wanted to do anything, you couldn't sit around and cry about someone like her, her stealing your shit or cry about not having a truck. You still don't have a truck. So you just got to keep moving. Yeah. Right. Thinking back, that's just always been my mentality is I never slowed down enough to let myself feel bad. I just made a decision and moved. Like when, once that, I think somewhere around 15, like when that whole truck thing happened and mind you, the, throughout these years, I'm jumping back and forth through different oh, yeah. schools and different right. parents and you know, th this and that, but somewhere around 15, I was just like, boom, cut her off and I'll never talk to her again. Right. Mm -hmm. and, and, and I didn't think about it I didn't dwell on it. It was just cut and then life, keep living yeah. life. Yeah. I never spent the time down in the gutter saying, woe is me. This shit sucks. This, you know, because like I was saying earlier, that was just life for me at the time, right? I didn't have perspective to know mm -hmm. how bad that sucked. I didn't have perspective. I didn't know what a good parent was to be able to say that's a bad parent. To right. me, it was just life. I was just living life. So I had to keep living life. Yeah. Right. Does that kind of encompass yeah. a little bit of oh that? Oh my gosh. Yeah, absolutely. And it also, okay. I mean, I think it helped people understand the whole kind of potential mindset you have and that 
line that you were using is just perfect. It's not necessarily like good or bad. It's just how do I keep going? How do I progress from here? Mm-hmm. Like this is the situation. How do I progress from here? And it's a forward motion rather than, like you said, just sitting and dwelling on it. So, yeah, I think that's very helpful. And you wanting this kind of freedom, you know, to live a life that that you have more control over. Obviously, a lot of things were taken from you <laughs> constantly. Um, yeah. You know, like led you into these different things where you kept exploring, and you definitely mm-hmm. have an exploring nature about you. Yeah, yeah. So some people would call that traumatic, but but you wouldn't, right? And then you know, you spent time in the Navy. You did some things there, did some hard things. I don't know. As a firefighter, you saw some very difficult things, but mm-hmm. you do have a different way of describing what's been kind of the most, if we want to use that word, traumatic experience for you, which was kind of recently. So can you just take us through, I mean, despite what the world would say and categorize as like, oh yeah, that was a bad thing, or that was a bad thing, or oh, that's the tra- traumatic thing. Um, really, uh-huh. it was something different for you, and but you've also found a way to grow through that. So if you could... Mm-hmm. If you're willing to talk us through um, mm-hmm. kind of that most recent struggle. Yeah. So before we dig into that type of stuff, I think it's safe to say that as humans, we all struggle. Sometimes sure. we struggle immensely. 100%. Sometimes we struggle immensely and deeply. Right? Yes. Sometimes we get to a place where we just feel like we're at the bottom and there's no light. It's yes. completely dark and, and we can't see our way out. Yes. We can't find a way out, right? Yes. It's safe to say that as humans, we've all been there. Most of us have been there, right? And to talk about those, to talk about that pain and that suffering, I think we have to back up and and have some general understanding. And this is kind of where I can talk about my my path and where I can talk about the tools I think that help a person when they're in that place. Yeah. Good. I think the first the first thing for me, the first step was understanding, mm-hmm. right? And that sounds extremely simple, but it's, it's so complex because I feel like there's so much about ourselves and the way the world operates that we don't understand, that we mm-hmm. haven't put the time to dig in deep enough to really know what's going on. Right. All, most people are operating on autopilot mm-hmm. and they think that what they feel or what they're going through is what it is that it's a universal truth. Right. Right. So what I want to talk about now is kind of laying the foundation, what I think is important, what was important for me to lay the foundation to kind of change the way that those things affected me. I love it. Okay. So the first thing, the first thing I think is important for people to understand is, and this is the found, this is what I think is foundational. Okay. Some foundational things, some foundational understanding that now gives people the tools to move forward. The first thing is understanding how we operate. Like we we as humans, think of your mind like a computer. A computer operates because it has it has been assigned a certain code and it operates within the parameters of that code. Does that make sense? Yeah. Right? So we as humans, we're the same way. We're operate our our minds are kind of like that computer is operating within the parameters of a code. Mm-hmm. Okay. Issues most of us are uh, oblivious to is how that operating operating system is actually running. We don't understand how that system is running or what built the system in the first place. We think that it just is what it is. Okay. So let's identify some pieces of that system and talk about rewriting that Love system. Okay. okay. So for me, that code, the first step, the first step in rewriting that code is understanding where the power is. This is very, very, this is extremely important. And I put this first because I think it is the bedrock. It is the foundation of something we can stand on when we're down there. Like when we're flailing around at the bottom and we're just wallowing in the pit of just pity and despair, we need something to grab a hold of. Like a house, a home, you know what bedrock is, right? Oh, yeah. Bedrock is the part of the earth that we have to drill down to, we have to get down to before we even pour a foundation of a house. Right, because right. it's you build solid. A house it's on not sand, moving. Right, right. It's not moving. It's solid. You know, when you hit bedrock, now when you build up from there, everything is solid. It doesn't matter if you build a million dollar home on the sand. the The, the magnificence of the home doesn't matter if you're not built on bedrock. 
the same same with us, right? So that foundation, the first step is understanding, shifting the power from something external to internal. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's what I think is 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 the foundation. What the first thing that we can grab is realizing that we have the power, and the power to do what? That's the next question, right? What do we have the power to do? And let me ask you this before I answer that question: What do you think, Barb, is the most powerful thing in the world? Aside from the aside from the creator of the world, I would say our our minds. Within 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 the context of the human realm. Okay then I would have to go with our minds. Okay, right. And what, what, what about our minds would you say is the most powerful? That's a great answer. What about our minds? I think um, the pliability. Mm-hmm. That okay. they can change. Right, right. So I, if I were to simplify what I understand what you're saying, if I were to simplify that, I would, I would challenge that the most powerful thing in the world is a belief or a thought. Think about what has happened in the world. If you reflect back on history, think about the worst things that have ever been done by humanity. What fueled those things? Sure. I mean, what starts power, in the mind, right? Yeah. What power those things? These are thoughts and beliefs, right? So mm-hmm. let me ask you this question. If you and I were in a park right now, just a, a random city park, and I hand you a gun and I say, walk up to this guy and shoot him in the head. Would you do that? No. No. What? is stopping you from doing that? Lots of things. <laughs> I want you to whittle it down to a, a philosophy, right? What philosophy, what is it inside of you that is stopping you from just doing that? Right. I have a moral belief. I wouldn't cause violence for no reason. Okay. Now that, that same, that's a good answer. That same situation, you have children? Yes. Okay. So that same situation right now, you turned around and your child is has an immediate threat to their life by this person. Right. It changes everything. It changes everything, right? But what changes it? It's just your belief, right? Right. Your on perception. One side of the coin, on one side of the coin, your beliefs tell you that you would not just walk up and kill a person. On the other side of the coin, if something that's important to you to a certain degree is threatened, you would now. The point I'm trying to make is that... Our belief systems, what we believe is the most powerful thing in the world, right? We have to make that fundamental understanding that there is nothing more powerful than our thoughts and our belief systems, mm-hmm. okay? So understanding that those are, are the most powerful thing, that means that the power is internal. How we think about things is more powerful than the response that we're having or the the immediate response that we think we're having, right? What we don't understand is our response to something that is called traumatic is a reflection of our thoughts and beliefs. We just, most people just don't know that. Mm-hmm. Over the course of their lifetime, their life has been shaped in a way that has produced those thoughts and beliefs about those things. Right. Created them. Yeah. Has created them, right? So on one hand, you could have someone that says, hey, Killing, killing is bad. We don't do it. On the other hand, you have extreme religious communities that are killing people wholesale in the name of their belief. So that's the first step. The foundation when you're down there, I think, is realizing that you do have the power, right? There is a way out. And the first step to me was realizing that I had the power to choose my thoughts. Mm -hmm. I had the power to choose how I'm going to view things. Okay. So then we move along. The second step, I think, is understanding words, understanding the power of words, okay? And how do we express or deploy our thoughts? This is the question. How do we express or deploy our thoughts and our belief systems? Through what we say and do. Right, through what we say and do, through words or actions, okay? So then, what is a word? If I were to ask you, Barb, to define a word, what is a word? It's a descriptive label. A form of communication. Right. So you said label, right? And I want to take that a little bit further. And my understanding of a word is just a symbol. Mm-hmm. Okay. When my daughters were younger, I had this story that I would tell them that would that, that kind of illustrated this. Okay. And, and if it's okay with you, I'll tell the story now. Okay. Yeah, I'd love it. Imagine, if you will, that the world is divided into like two separate islands. That's it. 
One and they're they're thousands of miles apart. There's a whole civilization on this island here, and there's a whole civilization on this island here. Okay, on this island, they look at this and they say this is red. On this island, they look at this and they say this is red. Right. On this island, they look at this and they say this is blue. So the question is which which island is correct? Yeah, they both are. They both are right, and you understand that, but most of us don't understand that. So. That leads to the question of why are they both right? Well, they all have the same understanding about the color of that item. They have all made an agreement. Yeah. On both islands, they made an agreement that when they see this, the symbol they're going to assign to it is red. And this island over here, when they see this, they're going to assign that the symbol blue, right? Yeah. So words are just symbols. They're agreements that we have made, okay? And it's, it's extremely important to understand that when you're communicating with another person, not just communicating, but when you're, when you're driving your life in a direction, if you don't understand that, you could be way out here in left field and not even know it, not even realize it because the symbols you're, because you're accepting symbols that could possibly have a f***ed up meaning, right? Mm -hmm. When I talk back to my childhood, though, I... Someone could say you could someone could say some of these things that happened to me were bad, right? And they're assigning the, the, these symbols to these words, and that now makes an incremental change in the course of your life. So over the course of your over the course of our lives, if we're not aware that these words are just symbols, we could be miscommunicating with ourselves, right? With ourselves, right. our entire life, right? And then that those are that's the foundation of what I think puts us in these bad places. Mm -hmm. We're making these agreements that an event equals trauma. We're making these agreements with ourselves that if this happened to me, that means this. In essence, we're choosing the pain and we're choosing the suffering, but we don't realize it because we've operated off those incremental agreements that we've made throughout our life. Does this, does it, am, am I making sense? Yeah. Yeah. I think like when you find yourself in the pit, like you said, it's not, I, I think I have to say like, we're not blaming that person for being in the pit because they don't know, right? Mm -hmm. Like they don't know that those experiences have created these beliefs and thoughts. And in fact, it takes sometimes a really long time to unpack exactly the thoughts and beliefs that that event has created for them. So, right. Yeah. And, mm -hmm. and, and here's, a, here's a very simple example. Okay. My son's mother is deathly afraid of snakes. If my son is standing beside her and she sees a snake, how does a person with a, that sees something they're deathly afraid of respond? Well, typically they're pretty excited. <laughs> ah, and she's running away, right? If he's standing beside me and I reach down, I pick up the snake I show the snake to him. I let him pet the snake. I let him hold the snake. The situation between her and me, the actual situation is the same, but how he experienced that situation is completely different. For sure. Yeah. Right. And it's things like that, that, that mold us without us even knowing the, when the world happens and we observe how a person responds to that molds us and yeah. we don't even realize it. He doesn't, he He's three and a half years old. He doesn't realize that one could be labeled, one reaction could be labeled right, one reaction could be labeled wrong, one could be labeled better, one could be labeled worse. He doesn't understand that. All he knows is if she acts like that when she sees a snake, he's supposed to act like that when he sees a snake. That snake is traumatic to her. That snake is just a, another opportunity for me to connect with the environment and nature to me. Right. That's the difference. That's that's what's important for people to understand is we go through something and based off of whatever it is that has happened, that has taught us what that is. Yeah, that has taught us how to view that. And now let's say that happens three, four times throughout the course of his you know, childhood. He now now he's adopted that if he doesn't have me to counterbalance that reaction to give him perspective, to give him contrast. That's what you're supposed to do when you see a snake now. That's what's important. That's why understanding that these words are just symbols is because now we, we realize that 
there's it's not a universal truth. That color being red Absolutely. is not it's right. not a universal truth. It is right. just an agreement that we've made so that we can have some level of communication with each other. Right. So those agreements are what's extremely important when you're now reflecting back on your life. How many agreements have you made that you don't even realize? Yeah. Yeah. In your life. Right. Right. And I would say like the worst thing we can do is take everything as fact and avoid anything we perceive or have come to believe as dangerous. Yeah. And that's a whole nother conversation of, you know, like that's something else that I'm extremely passionate about is how do you, how do you deal with, how do you deal with danger? Right. What is your belief around danger in general? Yeah. Well, it is why our brain does that, right? Because our brains are built for survival and our automatic response is to try to stay away from things that we think are dangerous, you know, to us or other people. But you are such a natural coach. Um, Like I'm having so much fun just right now. I can't even imagine like coming to you with something specific, you know what I mean? And just like your presence, like I feel it wholeheartedly, like you do believe despite some of the most quote unquote, important people in your life, not valuing your life, not really taking you and seeing you as an individual and like Mm -hmm. your potential for growth. Like you do see the potential in other people for growth. And I know Mm -hmm. at the beginning you said like, it's hard to listen to people say like, I'm doing the best I can, but yet you and what you do right now, like you show up for those people who are like, Hey, I'm doing the best I can. What motivates you to serve people in the way that you're serving now where, you know, it could be like someone with your history would say like, whatever, like they would have no empathy for the person who says Mm -hmm. I'm doing the best I can. But what you're doing is saying like, that's, that may just be an excuse, but let me show you the way, like you are spending lots of time and energy and effort, you know, into helping these people grow. It's just really cool to see. Cause you, you could have just said like, Hey, like people didn't value me. I'm in it for myself, you know? Yeah. 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 So, you know, I think what the, the question you're trying to get to is like, what, what is it that, that, allowed me to experience that, but then not turn to that? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. I think what, what do you think it is that keeps you available um, and understanding and like motivated Mm -hmm. to help other people? God, man, that's such a good question. And it is, I don't think I can pinpoint an an answer to that because I've tried to ask myself that question too. Like why, why? Ryan, yeah, why are right. you doing? Why are you doing what you're doing? You know, and some of the easy answers are, oh, you know, because it was done to me, and I don't want you know it to be done to other people. Sure, but, yeah, which is that's a good answer. Yeah, I mean that's an that's an that's a socially acceptable answer. That's an right. agreement. That you, that's an that's an easy agreement to make, right? Right. Easy agreement to make. Um, I don't I I don't really know the answer to that question. Like as far back as I can remember in in my childhood growing up teenage years or whatever like i've always just gotten something from helping other yeah. people yeah you know yeah. like like no matter what like i remember being you know a teenager going through junior high and high school and like so many people would come to me that were having problems you know like kids that were running away from home or whatever, they would call me and I would go pick them up and talk to them and then take them back home, you know, and stuff like that. I remember doing that, that type of thing. So I don't, I I can't really tell you what it is that, that, that makes me do that. But like when I, when I do help people and I show them that there's something else, you know, that they, that something else that they can see about their lives. Like I, I just get a lot of fulfillment from it. Right. You know, even even right. back when I had the gym, a lot of, obviously it was predicated on fitness, but right. just as much as, just as much as the foundation was in fitness, it was in your mindset and, mm-hmm. and the way that you thought. So I've always, I think I've always just been fascinated with, with that and sharing that with people. Like the most fulfillment I had in the gym is when people, you know, they would come in and they would go through like a 30 day program with me and you, you could visibly not, you could visibly see a difference, not in like they lost weight. They did that, but you could see a difference in how they moved. 
like their head was up, their shoulders were back. Like they were more confident because yeah. they've been, they've lived a life that's told them that you had to be down there. Right. Right. They've lived and there and they accepted that agreement and they believe it. And, you know, so for example, there's a, there's a person I'm coaching right now. She, through our coaching program, we got to a point where we started talking about running and mm-hmm. she was like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm not a good runner. I'm not a good runner. And I'm like, okay, tell, Yet. Me, tell me about this. Tell me about this. Oh, because of this and this, and I had shin splints and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, okay, tell me about it. What, what? And it wound up that these shin splint issue was like 13 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 13 years ago, she, this person went through uh Marine, she, she went through officer program with the Marines. Mm-hmm. Right. And she wound up not making it through the program because she didn't pass the running evolutions. Right. And in that program, they told her, or either they told her, she learned somehow. He, or, yeah. Somehow she got the message that she was not a good runner. Right. Because she was not a good runner and she was not a good runner because fill in the blank, shin sprints, right. whatever. Right. Right. At that moment, and this is important for, for your listeners at that moment, she accepted that agreement. Like that message came out and put its hand out to her. Right. And she, she accepted it. Right. She reached out and accepted it and said, yes, I'm not a good runner because the decision of this, this was made. Yeah. And, well, Forever. Yeah. The, the, the agreement was made. Right. 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 Like I like to put it in the context of an agreement because yeah. like we, she made like someone offered her that and she accepted. So right. she made an agreement at that point in time that that is that her, that is now her truth. Mm-hmm. And that agreement carried forward for 13 years until she met me. Yeah. And we made a new agreement. Right. We just now, she just completed her first ever 10K like a week ago. That's so cool. Awesome. Right? Yes. So that, that we, we made a new agreement. We broke that and now, yeah. and now we're moving forward. Yeah. I right? love it. My last, last question for you uh-huh. is, you know, you have a unique path. There's no doubt about that. Where you've been, yeah, we've talked about your childhood, didn't get into all of the the service stuff with, mm-hmm. you know, fire service and Navy and the gym. Like there's so many stories to tell, right. but it has led you to this place where really like from an outsider looking in, you're right where you're meant to be. Right. So how would you say, or how would you advise someone who they like, they feel this urge, this calling in a certain direction to serve in some way unique to them, but they don't know where or how to get started. What would you, what would your advice be for them? Start with yourself. Yeah. I think the, the, the foundation answer to that is start with yourself. And what happens is on the path of you trying to become the absolute best version of yourself. Yeah. The next step reveals yeah. itself. Yeah. Right? The the path the much like if you're a believer in like quantum physics and things like that, like you understand that the path kind of illuminates itself as you're looking, as you're moving, right? So you don't always you don't know I've I've struggled with this question because it seems like when you're looking at the world, it seems like there are people that from the time they were born, they knew exactly what they were <laughs> going to do and what yeah. they were going to be. Yeah. Right? And I struggle with that because I've never had that. And I still don't, right. Right. I still don't know that. Right? right. But it seems like there are some people that that's just what their trajectory in life has been. Yeah. Um, I think that's just what it seems like though. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. getting, you know, I, one is not getting wrapped around the axle of, you know, am I doing what I'm supposed to do? Right. Because that, that, that can cause you to not move. Yes. And that's and a sta- stationary question. That's a stationary place. Mm-hmm. Right. So, and in my, in my mind, like movement is life. So mm-hmm. it is long, if you're looking to get out of the dark place, start moving yourself. Yeah. And well, what do I mean by moving? Literally moving. (laughs) It is extremely difficult for you to go out and run 10 miles and then come back and still feel like a piece of shit. Mm -hmm. It's extremely difficult for you to go out and and get in shape and have a nice body and feel like a piece of shit. It's extremely difficult for you to go to a jujitsu gym and 
interact with the people that are there and that energy and walk away feeling less than when you walked in, right? It's, it's extremely difficult to, to read a book and that book sheds some light on your path. And for you to, it's, it's difficult for you to do that and not experience some fulfillment. Right. So it's just movement. Yeah. I think the first step is just movement. Just move. And, and, and not just move because the path, the path will show itself and we right. get wrapped around yes. like, I don't want to waste time. I don't want to do something that's not my calling. Like when you get to that <laughs> point in life, like right. I've, I've said that a hundred times, but yeah. all that does is it makes you be static. It makes that's you right. not move. So move, move towards frozen. something, but move towards something like progress is happiness. Progress in anything is hap- it equals happiness. If you're not progressing and anything, whether it's something physical, a physical endeavor, an emotional endeavor, a psychological thing. If you're not creating movement, then I don't think you can you can be as happy as you can be. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's so much more, I mean, to you, to what you're doing and, and to your story. Where uh-huh. um, should people go to find you, Ryan? Instagram is just my first name, Ryan, and then three underscores, and then Glenn, G-O-Y. So Ryan Glenn, I'm on there. Um, so it's pretty easy to get in touch with me through there or Facebook at Ryan All right. Glenn. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Thank you. And if your website's up or whenever it is up, we'll include it you know, in the show notes so that people can easily find you. Um, if they've made some agreements that they're not happy with, I want them to, <laughs> I want them to seek you out. So yeah, uh, yeah absolutely. I in, So enjoyable to talk to with you today. And um, I just want to thank you for your time and and everything that you're doing in the world. Yeah, thank you so much. I appreciate the opportunity um, and and being able to get on here and talk with you and you ask good questions so that it makes everything even that much better. All right. Until next time. Hey, everybody. Thank you for joining us for another incredible episode of In the Name of Service. If you enjoyed today's episode, please like and subscribe. And of course, feel free to share with those you feel would like to be inspired. Have a difference maker in your life that you'd like to see featured? Reach out to Dr. Barb Thompson at inthenameofservice at gmail.com. We'll see you next time.